we're going to start a new sermon series this morning, and uh, what we're calling it is, is 24 here, all right, the journey to the cross, and what we're going to do is we're going to take about 10 weeks, about 10 weeks, and we're going to take a, a look at those last 24 hours of Jesus' life. It's a lot of time on, on, on just 24 hours, but uh, these are what, what many of us believe are, are some of the most, if not the most important 24 hours uh, in all of human history. And, and so what I want us to do is to take some time and to, and to walk through it and, and, and to go through it. And some of us might feel like, well, I, I know this story, I know what happens, and I, I know where everybody is, but, but I want us to kind of just see if we can listen to it again. And, and I want us to kind of go back there and, 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 and walk with Jesus as he goes to the upper room and then as he goes to Gethsemane and is betrayed and then to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and to Herod. And, 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 and just to kind of get a sense of where all these places are and, and, and what's going on there. These 24 hours are, are worth a series. The fact is we could probably spend a year on these because Christians, we believe that these 24 hours change the world and they can change our lives. There we are, come on, get to the right slide. And now I just hit it again. All right, anyway, they, they changed the world. They could change our lives. The Apostle Paul, when he preached, he, he made these 24 hours absolutely central. He says this, For I resolved to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? He said, it's those 24 hours. It's that time leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. It's the crucifixion of Jesus, the death and the burial of Jesus. He says, that's what changes everything. That's where I find forgiveness. That's where I find new life. And and so I want to take the time to think about those 24 hours. We're going to be looking at it from sunset on Thursday, from sunset on Thursday to sunset on Friday. That'll actually take us through the burial of Jesus as well but we're going to just kind of walk with Jesus and his disciples during these 24 hours in and around Jerusalem, somewhere around 30 AD. Again, we can't know for sure exactly when this was. Uh, kind of calendars get a little changed and so on. But, but around 30 AD, Jesus would be 33 years old. And, and so we're going to take a look at this. Now, there are going to be two tools that I want us to use during this series. Okay, two tools that are going to be important for us. And we're going to do a little bit of background work here. But the first is this map this map here, and it's a map of the city of Jerusalem. And uh, just for those of you, if you want to, you don't have to worry about sketching it. We're going to have study guides throughout this series. There are some already printed out, some uh, on the table out in the foyer there, some by the office back there. But on the back side of the study guide is this map. And so as you kind of, you know, I want to just suggest that maybe you you actually put that up someplace and, and see if we can't get a little bit of a sense of the city of Jerusalem. It's going to be important for this series as we follow where Jesus walked, as we follow where Jesus was taken. But I think any time we know more about this city, when we read the Gospels, it becomes significant. So um, th- this, this map is there just to give you an idea of, of, of some dimensions um, from north to south, from bottom to top here. It's, it's only about two miles. And, and the other way across, it's only a half a mile. And, and so the city of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus was one square mile, right? 76 to 68th Kalamazoo to Eastern. That was the entire city of, of Jerusalem at that time. You could walk around it. It was four, four miles. Now, it's a little narrower and longer, um, but, but that's what it was. Don't know exactly how many people lived in Jerusalem, but it was probably thirty to 40,000. Some people say that's a high guess. Maybe it was a little bit lower. 
uh, but it was a fairly compact city. Again, pretty small area to have 25, 30, 40,000 people in it. So that's one of the tools we're going to look at, this map. And we're going to come back to it and just trace the steps of Jesus as he walks through Jerusalem. The other thing I want to point to is, is something that some of you have seen. Uh, if you've been to Jerusalem, it's, it's really fascinating. And uh, it sounds odd to, to say that this was one of my favorite parts of Jerusalem, but it was. It's a model of Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. Um, you know, it's crazy. You go there and you, 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 you look at a model. But this thing is, is huge. It would take up about half the auditorium here. Um, for those of you who do models, this is a 1 to 50 or 50 to 1. I don't know which is which. But um, this is from the south looking to the north, and it's really amazingly detailed, all right? This is, it's a half mile, again, east to west, two miles north to south, okay? Now, every city um, has different areas in it right? I mean, if we talk about Grand Rapids, it's not enough to just identify Grand Rapids because there's East Town, right? And East Town has its own flavor, and Ada has its own flavor, and Downtown has its own little flavor, and Alpine, and 28th Street Corridor, and all these, right? All these different areas have a little different feel, and, and it's helpful to know kind of a little bit about them. So what I want to do is identify seven different areas in, in Jerusalem here, and, and again, I, I know it's going to seem like, you know, this is crazy kind of memorization work, but I'm, I'm going to try to get you to get this, and we're going to come back to it again and again and again. So I, I think this will be helpful as we think about these 24 hours, but also as, as we go through, uh, you know, any time we, we talk about Jerusalem. So seven areas that if, if you want to get Jerusalem, this is what you got to get. We start over here with the Kidron Valley. The Kidron Valley, the Kidron Brook is, is going through there. Now, Jesus always stayed in Bethany. He rarely, if ever, stayed in the city of Jerusalem. Bethany is two miles uh, to the east yet, okay? It's two miles off to the right of this. That's where Jesus would stay. So every time Jesus came into Jerusalem, he'd go through the Kidron Valley. The Mount of Olives is to the right, and, and people would come down here. The Kidron Brook was uh, at the bottom of this there, and, and the Garden of Gethsemane is on the right side here, just off the screen it would be, but the Garden of Gethsemane are there. So, so when the disciples in Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, they would have gone through the Kidron Valley. When he was betrayed, they would have been taking him back through the Kidron Valley. This was just, it, it was just, it's just an essential place to know um, and, and to kind of get a picture of it. So that's the Kidron Valley. The second area is the temple. Okay, the center of Jerusalem, not geographically, but this was the high point. This was the major place. And, and just to give you an idea, this is this model, a, a view from the east now. Um, and that's why it's so cool. It is so detailed uh, to, to get a picture of this model, to, to get close to it and to see it. Um, you can see how detailed it is. And you see the different parts of the court and the court of the Gentiles. And, and we can explain all of that later. But, you know, in the temple proper and so on, and where the, the Holy of Holy was is in the, in the taller part of the building. So the temple. So it's Kidron Valley, then the temple, right? Okay. The next area is the city of David. And interesting, at least to me, I hope it's interesting to you, when David conquered Jerusalem and made it his capital city, this was the city. And if you think it's a half mile, this was not a big city, right? This is like an eighth of a mile across is all this is. But when Jerusalem was first established, when David first built Jerusalem and so on, that's what it was. That's the city of David. Not a lot going to happen for us in this series in the city of David. Next area is the lower city. And this is nice because it's lower. It's not only lower geographically, it's also lower income. Okay, this is, this is where the laborers work, the blue-collar folks. This is, lived. This is, where, uh, this is where the population was kind of right on top of each other. Again, if we zoom into this area, these are, the homes are, are just kind of all right there. There's, there's, everything is shared. It's a lot like kind of an apartment 
or even like tract housing, if we think about that in Chicago or whatever. I mean, this is just all these people jammed into this area. It's the slaves, it's the, uh, the ones who don't live with their masters and so on, but it's the poor people and so on. That's the lower city. So Kidron Valley Temple, City of David, lower city. And then anybody want to guess what's next? Upper city, yeah, and guess what? It's upper, it's above, it's, uh, it's higher up. And it's also, again, the, the higher income folks, okay? The upper city there. It is, uh, these are much nicer homes. That's Herod's Palace, one of them, at the bottom, okay? That's where Herod's Palace is. This is looking from the west uh, towards the upper city. And, and, and again, in these homes, you have courtyards. In these homes, you have second stories. Probably this is where Jesus and his disciples spent the upper, uh, were in the upper room, where they had the Last Supper. Those other homes in that lower city, they didn't have extra rooms. They didn't have spaces. And so Jesus was probably in a home like this with his disciples, and we'll come back to that later today. So that's upper city. And then kind of beyond that is an area that I've seen a lot of different names. I'm just going to call it the suburbs, uh, just another kind of area of housing. That's going to be important because that's where Jesus carries his cross through the suburbs. And, and we'll look more closely at that as we, get, as we get towards that later on in this series. And then out here is outside the city. There are city gate walls out there, but that's outside the main part of the city. There are always kind of two city walls, the outside walls and the inside walls. And so the water supply was out there, and that is going to be where Jesus was crucified outside of the city. So this is Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. Now, again, I want to try to have you get this. So I'm going to go through this again really quickly and see if in your mind's eye you can kind of go through these with me and and catch it. So Kidron Valley, Temple, City of David, Lower City, Upper City, Suburbs, Outside the City. Again, Kidron Valley, Temple, City of David, Lower City, Upper City. Yes, Suburbs outside the city. Okay, now we'll do it on this map. Kidron Valley, right? There it is there. The Kidron Valley, the temple, the city of David, lower city, upper city, suburbs outside the city. Kidron Valley, temple, city of David, lower city, upper city, suburbs. Come on, suburbs, there we go. And outside the city, okay? There's outside the city. All right, again, Take the maps home. Take a look at it. it it's just kind of helpful, again, to get a feel. Okay, upper city, that's where the wealthier folks were. The lower city, it's really congested and so on. And you'll see as we follow Jesus going through Jerusalem, even today, this will help you get a sense of, of kind of what's going on. Now, I said we were going to start Thursday at sunset. I lied, okay? We're going to actually start Thursday morning here because Jesus, as I said, was not in Jerusalem. Here's Jerusalem. You can see the temple right below it, city of David, and then lower city, upper city, uh, suburbs outside the city. Kidron Valley is there. The Mount of Olives is there. And Jesus is over here two miles away in Bethany. Okay, two miles away in Bethany. Jesus and his disciples have walked that every day this week. He would go into the city. He's staying with Mary and Martha, Martha and Lazarus. They would go into the city on that Monday, probably was the day where there was the triumphal entry. It was the day of picking the Passover lambs, and people were saying, Jesus, you are our king. Jesus, you are the Messiah. And so the, the power of that and the, and the, the, the height of that, on, on Tuesday, Jesus would have gone in this week, would have gone into Jerusalem. That's probably the day that he cleansed the temple. On Wednesday, he went in again to the temple and had uh, some really big-time arguments and disputes with some of the uh, religious leaders of his day. And so every day, they've been walking back and forth. 
And, and now on Thursday morning, it's the day of, of the morning of the, the evening where we're going to celebrate the Passover. Again, for the Jewish people, sunset starts a day, so it, it's actually the day before, but, but Thursday at sunset. So Thursday morning, uh, Jesus and his disciples are there in Bethany, and he sends Peter and John ahead to prepare the meal. Jesus sent Peter and John ahead, Luke 22, verse 8, and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Go into Jerusalem, prepare the Passover meal. Now, during Passover, uh, Jerusalem would go from a population of 30,000 to 200,000. Everybody wanted to be in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So imagine a city of 30,000 now having 200,000 people in it, right? It's Black Friday in the mall, okay? That's what Jerusalem is. It is crazy with people, and everybody's there. And so you can imagine Jesus says, hey, go, go, go find a room and prepare it. Uh, Jesus, there are 200,000 people here. Nobody's got an extra room. Where do we go? And Jesus says this. Jesus replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher, wa- pitcher of water will meet you. How do you know which man? Well, it's odd that a man would carry water. That was woman's work in that day. And so even seeing a man carrying water would be very, a, a, pretty clear, uh, a pretty clear indicator. So follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should go and prepare our meal. A couple of things to notice again. Upstairs to a large room. That's why we think probably upper city, right? This room had to be big enough. And in the lower city, nobody had upstairs rooms that they could give to somebody else. The other thing I want you to, to just notice here, and, and this is interesting, is, is that he says, just tell him that the teacher asks. And, and, and for some reason, I don't know what you've been kind of raised with, but I always thought that this was somebody probably Jesus had never met, and it was just some miracle that this guy said, I had a sense that I should have had an empty room all prepared for somebody. The likelihood is actually, and God can do miracles, I know, but the likelihood is this was a follower of Jesus. This was somebody, a wealthier follower of Jesus. Again, we, we so often think of the followers of Jesus coming from that lower city, but, but there were a number of upper city folks who called Jesus rabbi, who said, you're the teacher. And, and so this well, might well have been something Jesus just set up earlier in the week and said to this guy, hey, I need a room. And he said, no problem. No problem, Rabbi. So then the, the disciples said, follow this guy. He's got the water. He'll take you to the right place. And, 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 and then you'll uh, just go ahead and, and, and set up in that room. So uh, the disciples and Jesus are here in Bethany. Peter and John go first, and then Jesus would have followed. They would have made their way a couple of miles, I think, over the Mount of Olives, down the Kidron Valley, and entered Jerusalem there near the city of David, right? You all know that now, right? And so if we look at it from our model, they would have come down the Kidron Valley, and there's a gate right into that place. So they've walked a couple of miles, and then down, uh, you know, get another quarter mile or whatever down the Kidron Valley. And, and again, as you think about now walking through the city, they're going to walk through the lower city up to the upper city. And remember, this is the mall on Black Friday. 200,000 people in a city that was crammed with 30,000 people. And, 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 and so you know how, how, what a pain it is walking uphill. So, you know, it's kind of like, well, they only had to walk a half mile. You have to walk a half mile step-by-step fighting people, step-by-step, because everybody's here, and everybody's going to their places, and so they would have probably come along here. There was a road that went, you can see kind of a path along there, up into the area of the upper room, um, and, and where the upper city is there. Again, probably to an area like this. If you and I were to go and, and be in Jerusalem and ask somebody, what, where was the upper room? 
uh, we would probably be taken to this room. This is kind of, but you need to understand something about Jerusalem. And, and it's awesome to go I, and so on. But I would rather be outside of Jerusalem than in Jerusalem. And, and, and let me tell you why. Because the Jerusalem that Jesus walked in is, is 12 feet below Jerusalem today. <laughs> you, you see what happens is Jerusalem gets uh, conquered and it gets destroyed and gets built up. And it gets conquered, and it gets destroyed, and it gets built up, and it gets conquered. And, and each time, it's a little taller. So you know what? You can't walk where Jesus walked in Jerusalem. You cannot. It's 12 feet down. There are places where they dug down there, and you can look and say, hey, maybe he stepped on that stone. But it's, it's, it's up above there. This is a copy of a room that was originally built in the 12th century, so 1,200 years after. So it's, it might be right. But, you know, sometimes we kind of say, well, you know, I, again, if I go to Jerusalem, then I can see the place where Jesus was. Jesus was never in this room. Probably was one like it, okay? But it, it's helpful for us. I, I say that not to try to say, well, this is dumb to look at these things. No, I think it's deeply helpful for us to kind of get a, a, an idea. This is what an upper room at that time would have looked like. Would have been large pillars in the middle of it and so on. Now, there's actually an attic room. It's possible Jesus and the disciples might have been in a space like this. It might have been a space like this above that. We really don't know, but it would have been there. Now, how would the room have looked when they came in? What, what would it have looked like when they, when they came in? It would have looked something like this again. Um, it, you'll notice several things. Uh, first of all, the table is three-sided, Right? Okay, that's how they would have it. This open side would be where people would come in to serve the food, or if there was entertainment at the meal, that's where the entertainment would be, uh, and so on. And so you'd be sitting on the outside of that. The other thing you would notice is the table is low. Tables in our world are, I don't know, 32, 36 inches, whatever a table is. These would have been 12 inches, 8 inches, 10 inches off the ground. Because you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have sat at a table at these things. What you would have done is you would have reclined, okay? This is a Roman triclinium, um, and, and you can see everybody's laying down. Jesus and the disciples would have come in. They would have taken their places, leaned on their left elbows, and, and then they would have eaten with their right hands, and their feet would have been away from the table there. Uh, it's a triclinium, and actually that's a word you could probably remember because tri is three, right? It's three-sided recliners, clinium. So that's, um, that, that's kind of where the words come from. So, and, and that's where they would be. So Jesus and the disciples would have come into this room. Peter and John have got everything ready. It's all up like this. It's now uh, Thursday at sunset, and, and they would have found their place. Interestingly, Jesus, uh, some suggest, would have been here at this place, not along the long table. Um, that the head of the table was actually here, and we'll talk more about this next week, but John the Baptist on his right, Judas Iscariot on his left. And so Judas would have been sort of behind him, John the Baptist right in front of him as they're, as they're leaning in those places. Richard Foster suggests that the disciples came in here and they sat and they reclined around the table. That there would have been a fair amount of tension um, when they all got in there, okay? And, and the reason for that tension would have been this right here. It would have been the water basin, and it would have been the bowl. And I brought um, a basin and a pitcher here, all right? And so those are out there. And the reason that those are out there is that the first thing that needs to happen in a meal like this is the feet of people need to be washed. Uh, I, I kind of skipped something. When Jesus and the disciples came in, they would have all taken off their sandals, all right? Their keens, okay? Um, and they would have set them by the door, and that's when they would have gone in and sat down, okay? And the first thing that would happen is somebody would pick up that basin and pour water from the pitcher into there, 
and they would have gone and washed the disciples, washed everybody's feet. Now, this was usually a servant's job, right? This was a servant's job. There were no servants. It was Jesus and the disciples, and they're all there, and they're all waiting. And again, Richard Foster suggests that they're all looking at each other. And it's one of those kind of Mexican standoff things where you're saying, like, who's going to blink? Who's going to do this? That's the problem. The, 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 the feet need to be washed, but no one wants to do it. And, and, and if you think about it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, sometimes I think we can look at the disciples in these situations and we can say, uh, they're just selfish. They're just, you know, they're just so focused on themselves. Uh, you know, if they would have been really good people, they would have just, somebody would have gotten up and do it. No, again, think about the situation. They are dead tired. For, for the last three days, for the last four days, they've gone from the triumphal entry to these Jesus throwing the money changers out of the temple. There have been death threats against Jesus. They've been walking on Black Friday for miles and miles going through the city and everything. You know how that is. When you get done with your shopping on Black Friday, when you get done with a, with a move or whatever, when, you, when you're on vacation and you arrive at the hotel, what do you want to do? You want to sit down. The last thing you want to do is go empty the car. The last thing you want to do is go make the bed. The last thing you want to do is go fix dinner, right? I mean, and and, and they are just, it just feels so good to relax. You've been there. I mean, there are still dirty jobs today. I don't know what they are in your home, but but there are still things that none of us want to do. And, And when you're there and you're just so tired, I think almost all of them were thinking, it's somebody else's turn. It's somebody else's turn. I know I didn't do it last time, but I'm pretty sure I did it the time before that. But I know it hasn't been 13 times since I've done it. The disciples and Jesus must have had other situations where they had to wash each other's feet. This wasn't the only time they were at a meal like this where it had to be done and there was no servant around. And so they must have, and, and I can just, again, you know how that is. I made coffee the last time. I cleaned the toilets the last time. It's not my turn. This is not about me being selfish. I'm only interested in justice, right? That's all they were interested in is justice. They wanted it to be fair. It's not my turn. And let's face it, it's gross. Some of you are grossed out because I'm walking around here barefoot. Right? Some of us are just like, I can't believe it. That is so gross. The the fact is, I was thinking, and we're not going to do it, but if I were to tell you, if I had announced last week that we were going to do foot washing this week, you know what all, you all would have done this morning? You would have washed your feet. <laughs> you washed them twice. Because the last thing you'd want to do is to show up for a foot washing with dirty feet. Because it's gross. You wouldn't want anybody to touch your feet. You don't want to touch my feet. Now let's turn the clock back 2,000 years. No, no antibacterial stuff. No antifungal stuff. No steel-toed boots. I mean, scars, these people wore sandals. I, I got to believe that it's highly likely that, that several of the disciples had lost toes, right? I mean, you, you live in a culture with no boots. You live in a culture, and, and scars with sores and fungus, and it's just gross. And I just don't want to do that. I, I mean, it's, yeah, cleaning toilets after you know who was in there. Um, you know, I mean, it's gross, and then it's humiliating, it's just humiliating. This was the job that the lowest of the low slaves did. Foot washing was, you could clear, you know, again, you have probably jobs at your work. What does the new girl do? What does the new guy do, right? There are those jobs, and, and that's what the new person does. This is what the lowest slave did. It was, the, it was just humiliating. It was something that the lowest of the low did, and, 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 and that made it tough. 
Um, in, in fact, in a culture that did not, where husbands didn't have to treat their wives very well, this was actually one of the rules. They couldn't make their wives wash their feet. I mean, a husband could be pretty nasty to his wife. A husband could treat her pretty poorly, but he couldn't make her wash his feet. That was too humiliating. It's interesting, again, Richard Foster points this out, and I want you to think about this, because this is, this is interesting to think about who we are. So often when we think about pride, what we think about is somebody who's saying, I am number one. I am the greatest. I am the best ever. R- Richard Sherman, for those of you who watch football, right? I am great. I can stop anybody. I'm fantastic. But Foster points out there's another kind of pride, and it's probably the pride that, that attacks most of us. It's not the pride of wanting to be number one. It's the pride of saying, but I'm not number 13. Think about it. For most of us, our pride does not say, I am the best. What it says is, yeah, but I'm not in the lower 25%. You do surveys of, of, of children in the United States, 75% will tell you that they're in the top 50%. They might not be number one. They might not think they're number one. But 75, friends, that don't work. But that's how we live, right? I, I don't have to be number one. Just don't treat me like I'm number 13. Just don't think, treat me like I'm nobody. Just don't treat me with no respect. Just don't make me do the dirty jobs, Right? And, and, and I think, again, the disciples here are not fighting about who's number one. They're fighting about is who's number 13. What they're fighting about is who's lowest. And, and I'm okay with not being number one. But don't try to tell me I'm the worst pastor in this community. Don't try to tell me I'm the worst, you know. Because I know that's not true. Because I am above average. Really. And I, you know, right? I mean, that's, think about it. That's, and so they're all sitting there. They're tired. It's gross. It's humiliating. They don't want to be the last one. It, 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 it's just somebody else's turn. And, and, and there are dirty jobs today. There are still so many dirty jobs today. The things that nobody wants to do. In fact, I want to encourage you to spend some time at lunch today asking in your home, what are the, what are the dirty jobs what are the jobs that nobody wants to do? Is it taking out the garbage, shoveling the driveway? What, what are the jobs that nobody wants to do? Go to work tomorrow and ask yourself, what are the dirty jobs here? Because they're still there, and we still do those things. I mean, if you want to come and watch my kids interact and watch me and my brothers interact, you're going to hear all of those reasons. It's not my turn. I'm too tired. I don't want to do that. And, and so there they are, the disciples and Jesus, waiting to begin the most holy meal of all, celebrating God's salvation. And this pitcher and this basin are crying out. John tells us what happens. John 13, verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Just stop right there a minute, okay? Think about that. Jesus knew, John goes into Jesus, said Jesus knew two things. He knew that, that all power had been given to him. He knew that he was the creator. He knew he was the king of kings, the Lord of lords. I don't know if he knew this at 25, but he knows it at 33. He knows, he is clear, that he has all the authority, all the power in the world, and he knows that he is loved by God. He knows that he is in God's presence, and he knows that he's going to return to God's presence. That's what he knows. Jesus knows that he is absolutely everything, so he tells Judas, go wash everybody's feet, because he knows what Judas is going to do. That's what I would do. So he tells Peter, go wash everybody's feet, because Peter, you have a pride problem. Haven't we ever done that with our kids? <laughs> with somebody at work? 
You do this job because it will help you deal with your pride. That's what we'll do. We'll train this child. Peter, you're going to have a pride problem, so you do it. Or I could probably guess that he would say, John, John, the disciple, was like our John. He does all the dirty jobs without complaining. You don't have to fight him. And so just kind of, John, we do this. I know it's not your turn. So Jesus gave the job to John. No, he didn't. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing. I'm not going to do that. And wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He went from foot to foot. They would be reclining like this. What they would do is they would turn so their feet were facing away. And Jesus went from foot to foot, washing those feet, those gross, humiliating feet. And and just stop and think about this with me a minute. Less than 24 hours to live. Less than 24 hours to live, Jesus takes the time to do this deep act of servanthood. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Think about it. I mean, he knows what's going to happen. He knows he's going to be crucified. If I were in that situation, I would be saying, guys, you've got to get it. Kidron Valley, Temple, City of David, lower city, upper city, suburbs, and I would be going over it again and again and again. He's only got about three, four more hours with these guys. He's got a limited amount of time, but he doesn't talk. Now, he, 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 he spends some time later on talking. Don't, I don't, but, but I think it's so interesting. So often we think people need lessons, and Jesus says, no, what they need is love. So often we think that with our kids, that what they need are more lessons, what they need are more words from us, and maybe what they need more than anything else, maybe what you need from me more than anything else is for me to just wash your feet. You just need to know that you are loved. You just need to know that you are cared for. You just need to know that somebody is there for you. And less than 24 hours before he goes to the cross, Jesus takes the time to wash the disciples' feet. And he does it, he does it with love and joy. He doesn't do it the way you and I do it. Look at what John says, John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is all about love. This is all about love. He does this with love and joy. And the reason I highlight that is because on occasion, I wash feet. But so often when I wash feet, I do it with muttering, with blaming others, and with my subtle claims of greatness. I get up from the table and say, well, somebody's got to do this. I'll go ahead and do this. And, 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 and I mutter about it and, and I complain. You know, and I know it's not my turn, but nobody else is going to do this. Nobody else is going to do this. And, and I make those subtle claims of Jesus, you know, some, of greatness. It's, somebody's got to be like Jesus here. I'll take the garbage out. And, and so often when I do this, right, it's so hard not to want to get noticed. It's so hard not to point out what a martyr we are. It is so hard not to do that. I mean, I... I I, 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 when, I, when I do the laundry at home, you know what the hardest thing for me to do is? It's to put it away. Because I want Tammy to know I did it. 
So I want to leave it on the table so when she comes in, she says, Oh, Ron, you are like Jesus. Oh, I am married to Jesus because he is so great. You are such a servant. It wasn't your turn and you did this and I will just bask in the glory, right? That's not what he does. I think when Jesus washes these feet, he is, he is so excited to do this because he loves these guys so much. Even though they're going to all fail him, he loves them so much that he considers it an honor. He considers it an honor to wash their feet. And I wonder how well I do with that. He does this with love and joy, and then he calls us to do the same. John 13, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus calls us to love and to serve and to wash feet, to go into our homes and just do the dirty jobs with love and joy. That's the challenge for us, to simply and lovingly meet the needs of the people around us. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. He says, nobody is too good for the lowest service. One who worries about the loss of time that such acts involves is usually taking the importance of his own career too seriously. If Jesus has time, three hours left for the disciples, if he has time to just wash their feet in silence and love them, then maybe I have time to shut up and just serve. But I think I'm so important, I can't do that. I'm so important, I can't take out the garbage. I'm too important to make the coffee at work. I'm, I, friends, Jesus took the time. For many of us this morning, we know that. And I want to close with just one question, and, and we'll go through this fairly quickly. The fact is, we know we ought to wash feet, but my question I want to close with is, how do we become people who wash the feet of others? I know I ought to, but what does this story tell me about how I can? I think there are two things. First, we must be washed by Jesus. Some of you know that that when Jesus got up to Peter, Peter said, no. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answers and says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And, and, And so I think what we have to recognize is you cannot become a foot washer. You cannot become a servant on your own. Our hearts are too selfish unless Jesus washes us. And and again, there he's not saying to Peter, I need to wash your feet. It's I need my blood needs to wash away your sins. My blood needs to wash away and to change your hearts. And friends, unless God changes our hearts, Unless we are born again, unless God changes our hearts, we cannot, we cannot be servants. I I can't do it on my own. I can't overcome my selfishness. But that's why Jesus died, so that I could have that. And and so if I want to learn to be a servant, the first thing that's got to happen is I've got to just say, Jesus, wash me. Wash me, not just my feet, but all of me. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we must know that we are deeply loved. And, and, and I think that what we need to recognize is this is so often the opposite. So often when I say, you know what, I have to be a better servant, what I have to recognize is I don't deserve anything. I am a worm. I am nobody. I am nothing. And if I understand how low I am, then I will go serve others. If I understand how low I am, then I will go and do those things because I am the lowest of anybody, and that's the way it is. That's not why Jesus washed their feet. Again, let's go back to this. Jesus knew 
that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he got up from the meal. You know what it was? Jesus knew that God was going to take care of him, so it didn't matter where he was on the human totem pole. Jesus knew that he was so deeply loved. He knew that he had all the power, and it was knowing that. It was knowing that that freed him up to serve, and I think that is so important for us. The key to me growing in service is not hating myself more. The key to growing in service is recognize that God's going to take care of me. When I understand that I am loved by God, then I can serve you because I don't need you to tell me I'm great. I don't need Tammy to notice because my Father in heaven did. I don't need you. I can just serve because I'm not playing the game that so often we got, get caught up in of, of, of who's higher and who's lower and whose turn it is. I'm just free to love. And that freedom to love comes from knowing I am loved. And so I don't tell you this morning, think worse of yourself. I tell you, just try to imagine how much God loves you. To wrap it up, I would say that in one sentence, what I want to say this morning is this. When I have been washed by Jesus and know that I am perfectly loved, then I can love and serve others. Then I can dare to do that. So when you go home, there are going to be pitchers and basins garbage and toilets, coffee to be made, reports to be written. Will you just recognize it's okay to love and serve? And you don't need to tell your kids always what to do. Just love and, and, and wash their feet. Yeah, there's a great place for lessons, but sometimes we just get the towel out. And knowing that Jesus loves us and has washed us, We're free to love the gross, dirty people around us. Let's pray. Father, we are not good at washing feet because it's not our turn and we're too tired. And yet, you showed us that what you're all about is serving, giving, loving. You are a servant. So teach us to find the joy of serving. Father, you created us to serve. You created us to give and to find the joy in that. And so just, Father, forgive our sins. Wash away those sins so that we can be free to love each other. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of uh, benediction? Again, after our service, I think there'll be some folks in the prayer room uh, if they made it here this morning. Uh, If not, just find me and I'll be happy to talk with you and pray with you. People of God, as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we, may we know what it is to be washed by Jesus and loved by Jesus so we can be free to love others. Go in God's grace. Amen.